Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the Podmedic, and we are bringing back another episode, as usual, with a full house of our regulars in, in the show tonight. And, of course, first of all, we've got to bring in my co-host, Sam Bradley, who will uh, lead us off on this merry adventure tonight. <laughs> yes, it's been an adventure, hasn't it? Um, well, I see Miss Becky has a new picture with her winter gear on, so uh, that, that's appropriate for tonight because we're going to talk about that, and uh, I think we're going to be hitting winter in Colorado here, at least in my part of Colorado, um, probably by the weekend. So, Mr. Kyle, how is it in the high country? I know there's snow up there because I can see it. Oh, absolutely, Sam. Uh, it definitely does feel like winter up here. We had uh, one of our uh, first major uh, storms of the season come on through and uh, impact several mountain passes and uh, bring some trees down uh, that still had some leaf cover on them. But uh, it's it's definitely uh, been a pretty impactful event uh, for a lot of us across the high country, uh, mostly impacting roadways and things, including uh, closing several uh, seasonal mountain passes, including Independence Pass just outside of Aspen uh, for good now, just because of all the windblown snow, because this was not just a snow event, but a big wind event for us as well. As it was here, too. And uh, the rest of you all uh, on the East Coast are uh, been sitting through a nor'easter. So, Dan, you want to tell us what's going on with that? Yeah, we had that was one, probably one of the stronger nor'easters that I've seen in a long time. Uh, had that uh, very impressive storm that developed off the East Coast Monday into Tuesday and brought uh, four to eight inches of rain over a large area, which is pretty unusual. Um, and unfortunately, it was an area that had seen a lot of flooding from Ida back in uh, the first day of September. So some of those same places, northern New Jersey, northeast Pennsylvania, had flooding once again. The other big story was the power outages all across New England, especially southeast Massachusetts, southern Rhode Island, where uh, a little over a half a million customers were without power at the peak of the storm due to wind gusts, uh, in some cases over 80 miles an hour. Uh, southeast Massachusetts, the Cape and islands there. So it was a really impressive storm. In fact, a lot of comparisons to the quote unquote perfect storm or the unnamed hurricane from 1991. Um, obviously a bit of a different situation this time, but some of the impacts, especially the power outages in New England were similar as well as uh, the wind gusts. So a uh, it, it, was a, it was a pretty quiet October in the Northeast until the last couple of days. We ended it with a bang, that's for sure. Well, you certainly did. Um, some of the stuff I was reading, especially around Boston, a lot of utility poles were snapped. Uh, cruise ships <laughs> didn't know where to go, but had to find some place to go. And other boats broke from their moorings, and trees were uprooted. And I guess a whole lot of people lost uh, lost power probably because of the trees. So, how was that in uh, in your part of the world, Jamie? It was just some, some minor rain and some wind for us um, here in um, northeastern Maryland, but I'm curious to see what, what is approaching around the corner. We're, we're coming into Halloween weekend, and it looks like it's going to be pretty pretty wet for us here as the major storm's coming in. So, Dan, what do you know about that? Yeah, it's going to be another wet stretch here. I think you guys get some more rain here as we had Friday and then uh, into the, I, I think the heaviest is Friday, but definitely a, another significant rain event, really anywhere from 
Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, up to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Southern New York Friday into Saturday. So that's going to cause um, probably not, it, it won't be as big of a storm as the nor'easter from earlier this week, but still, uh, this is more of a uh, rain event than a wind event. Still some breezy conditions, and also have to watch for coastal flooding. Anytime you get that really persistent and um, strong onshore flow with that wind from the east or northeast or southeast, uh, like Chesapeake Bay, also, the Delmarva can see coastal flooding into Friday night. Dan, does this have anything to do with the, the big rain event that they're calling? I heard bomb cyclone on the corner of California and Nevada. And, of course, I'm thinking snow because we talked about that last year. But apparently there was an amazing amount of rain, like 10 and 12 inches that fell. Is, is that called a bomb cyclone simply because of the atmospheric pressure differences? Yeah. Uh, so the definition of a bomb cyclone, there's a very technical definition, but for, you know, for easy purposes here, basically if a cyclone is rapidly intensifying and there's a definition of how much pressure it has to drop in 24 hours, it's sort of 24, 24 millibars, but to not go into too much detail, basically a rapidly strengthening a low pressure system, and you usually get very significantly stormy weather with that. And that's what happened off the West Coast. I think not once, but I think twice last week, bringing significant and very unusual and record setting rain to places like Sacramento, which got uh, basically the same amount of rain in two days as they had in the entire last year um, oh. in Sacramento, which is an amazing amount of rain. And it's good they've got rain and they got a ton of snow in the Sierra. Uh, but it's not great. They had a lot of flooding and uh, also some power outages with the gusty winds out there. And some of those storms that were out there in California made their way across the country and have really impacted the east as well. So we've, you know, when the storms come in the West Coast, they typically don't just die out. A lot of them turn into significant storms in the east as well. Yeah, Marin County got something like 16 inches of rain over a 48-hour period. So California just goes from feast to famine. Um, Kyle, do you have any other thoughts on the bomb cyclone concept? Uh, not so much on on the uh, the concept, Sam, but really the impacts, right? Because the bomb cyclone that was really the lead story, right? Because it's it's a, a very you know catchy term, uh, but the the other part of this that really helped to intensify the, the rainfall, especially across uh, like northern and central California, was the atmospheric river event that uh, that was uh, set up as well. Which is uh, think of it as a ribbon of moisture in the air, and when that moisture you know comes on shore. And impacts, you know, mountains and other terrain features, and that moisture is squeezed out as, as it's forced to rise over those mountains, right? You had several feet of snow uh, up in the mountains, actually some resorts opening uh, uh, very uh, extremely early, more than a month early uh, than, than normal or than planned. Uh, because they have enough snow now, but also then those impacts being sort of realized as that uh, as that storm system moved east as well. So all that that moisture that was pulled in right from uh, from the Pacific was actually brought across into the central plains as well as a as the low as a uh, surface low pressure system developed and uh, spawned uh, several uh, rounds of severe weather uh, all the way from uh, you know uh, across Missouri as well as uh, Louisiana and, and coastal Texas as well. So, well, right, things, uh, as Dan said, right, the, things move on shore uh, there on the West Coast. And as they track east, uh, especially here in, in the fall, when you can have these very big temperature extremes from north to south across the continental U.S., that's where you can get some very intense fall weather.
So, Dr. Joe, you're probably sitting there with some boring, nice, warm southern weather. <laughs> uh, yes, I had a light shower, and I think my shoes got damp. Um, that's about oh, my it. God. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Miss Becky explained to me why my computer has been so weird today. A solar flare, and that might have an effect on people that want to watch the skies. You want to talk about that, Becky? Yeah, so uh, earlier today, the sun uh, released uh, an X-class flare, which is the strongest. There are C-class, M-class, and X-class, um, and those are usually pretty intense. And, I, you know, it may have a, some impact on satellite communications, but overall there's not expected to be, you know, a really noticeable difference directly here on Earth. But uh, if you are in the northern states, you may have a really good chance of seeing uh, the aurora borealis tomorrow night. That is, if you're lucky enough to not have cloud cover. So I was taking a look at the forecast tomorrow night. Um, we are out of luck completely here in Pennsylvania. Jamie, you're probably out of luck too. So pretty much all of the Ohio Valley, Great Lakes, um, even through Tennessee, Mississippi, uh, probably not going to have much of a chance. Um, the coastal southeast and then much of the mid part of the country. So Sam and Kyle, you're probably going to be in a good position, although probably too far south. Um, oh, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, how far south it's going to get. Um, probably as far south as like the Dakotas, maybe even a little bit into Pennsylvania. I, it's, uh, it, this is it's pretty unusual. This is one of the stronger ones. So right now the, the forecasts have it dipping into, you know, the kind of that line from basically the Pennsylvania, New York state line all the way through like Montana, Oregon. Um, but if you have a chance to drive North and you're going to be kind of the midsection of the country, I would, I would do it. Cause it seems like a pretty good opportunity to, to see the Aurora. Oh, I'd love that. Well, maybe Kyle's high enough. He can see it from there. If he doesn't have any clouds, what do you think Kyle? <laughs> well, Tell you what, Sam, if uh, I might get lucky if I can hang out at one of our mountaintop tower sites, uh, get out of the valley so I got a best of view of the uh, horizon as I can, maybe I'll get lucky. That's true. You can climb things like that and see things from very high places. That's kind of cool. Well, the other thing, you know, with with all of this discussion of winter weather, and, and like I said, I think it's, it's heading our way come this weekend temperatures seem to be dropping below zero for the duration. And, you know, that makes me think about getting prepared for winter. And after the blizzard we had here last year, I've been trying to do that. Um, I'm getting uh, tires on my car and so forth. But, you know, before we move on with that, Joe, there was something I saw that was kind of interesting talking about the pressure drop and the bomb cyclone that it has even effect on the, the human body in terms of causing headaches or flare-ups and pre-existing injuries. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, it's basically related to a rapid and substantial change in barometric pressure uh, that can uh, obviously upset your middle ear as you're all familiar with flying and your ears needing to pop, as it were. Uh, so a rapid change there can... Uh, you know, give you pressure inside your sinuses or any other closed space that has uh, air inside. Uh, and 
give you, you know, pain and pressure, that sort of stuff can cause some issues with uh, the middle ear, which could result in some vertigo, nausea, some of those kind of things. Uh, and um, potentially uh, enough change could result in some uh, change in volume inside joints and that kind of stuff, which could give you some joint pain, et cetera. So it can do all kinds of weird stuff. So my grandmother, yeah. who used to say that she could feel the weather changing, she may may have actually been able to feel the weather changing. Yeah, it's certainly <laughs> it's certainly possible. You know, I've got a dog that can tell when the barometric pressure is dropping, and you know, he goes and hides in the closet. So <laughs> smart dog. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Well, I don't currently have a dog, but my niece talked to me. I guess it's kind of the same thing, like uh, Jamie's grandmother. They're they're not happy when the weather, especially when it gets cold. Well, on that note, though, it it mentioned that Boston had its lowest atmospheric pressure on record for the month of October. So that's, you know, it kind of makes you wonder this early on with all this weirdness, what what the rest of the winter is going to look like. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But anyway... Are there any predictions from our weather experts on what this what this winter's likely to do? Well, let's ask them, Dan. Oh, uh, well, you know, it's it's obviously a long ways to the end of the winter, but um, we're in a, you know, and there's a lot of pieces that go into it, right? Between we talk there's always a lot of talk about El Nino versus La Nina and how that may play into the winter forecast. But there's a lot of other different parts of the atmosphere that 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 play into how how it unfolds across the US. Um, you know, I think our team at least at AccuWeather, what we've been thinking is that there's probably a, a lot of periods of cold and snow with with a fair amount of cold shots across like the northern part of the country, especially the northern plains and the upper Midwest. That's not unusual, but I think it's pretty frequent this year. Um, there's probably a lot of frequent storms in that area. I think one of the more interesting questions about this winter is, is how wet the West Coast is and how wet it is, how far south, basically. Um, in La Nina winters, you typically have most of the rain um, and precipitation across the Northwest. Um, but there's some thought this winter based on some other things in the atmosphere that that rain could be shifted a bit further south, which would be really good news for California, like we saw here in the last week and a half. And there's some thought that that might continue into the winter. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, and I think in, in the Northeast, it, I, I know we're predicting right around normal snowfall with a few significant uh, storms, uh, not necessarily frequent snowstorms, but um, ones that could bring some significant snow at times. So, uh, you know, but there's always a chance for it to be different because we're trying to look at things three, four, five months in the future. But that's our thoughts at this point, at least. Uh, Kyle, anything to add? No, I think Dan covered the the coast to coast perspective uh, very very well, and uh, just urging folks right. You you did you did hear a lot of right non specifics in in what Dan said, as we would expect right from a from a forecast of of impacts you know several months in advance, where those of us that are in a decision making capacity, be it for ourselves going out the door uh, every day or. Uh, for an organizational planning perspective, right? Uh, seasonal forecasting, right? It, it, it's nice to sort of have that big picture heads up, but don't don't change any plans at this point because of that. Stay tuned to what's coming up in the five day or less time period uh, if you really want to know what the true local impacts will be from each particular storm. That's right. It's different everywhere. What do you think, Miss Becky? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, Kyle's spot on and in, in talking about the, the impacts and paying attention. I was just uh, trying to remember when the National Weather Service was going to phase out advisories, because right now we have winter weather advisories, uh, winter weather or winter storm watches, and then winter storm warnings. And it's really important to know the difference between the three of those. So you're, you have an understanding of what may be coming in the next few days. So, an advisory is somewhat low-end, snow, freezing rain, freezing drizzle could cause inconvenience, um, but overall not going to be too impactful. A winter storm watch is alerting the public to the possibility of something pretty major, a blizzard, heavy snow, freezing rain. Those are usually issued around 12 to 48 hours before the start of the storm. And then that 12 to 24 hour before the event starts is when the winter storm warning is going to be issued for those same um, hazards, as just mentioned. So it's really important, as with all seasons, to have a way to receive these alerts, whether it's um, an app, a NOAA weather radio, you know, checking weather.gov. Just make sure you know what's going to be happening throughout the day when you leave the house. Do you need to take an extra jacket? Make sure there's a blanket and emergency kit in your car. Are you dressed appropriately? Um, do you need to make sure there's no ice when you step out the house so you don't slip and fall? things like that. It's wintertime is when a lot of, of injuries can occur, whether it's, you know, slip and fall or overexertion. So just, you know, good to be aware of, of what's happening around you and what's going to be coming um, in the next couple of days. Well, for me, I'll be in the closet with Joe's dog. <laughs> He'll keep me nice and warm. Jamie, thoughts? Yeah, and I have a question. I mean, I think maybe for Kyle on this one, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the, the long-range weather forecast, we've talked about paying attention to, to the weather radio and the advisories that, that come across from the National Weather Service. Um, can we talk a little bit maybe about why it's important to, to really understand your local forecast options and, and why they are really the best people to tell you exactly what's likely to happen in your specific area? Uh, Jamie, that's that's a fantastic uh, topic, and you really hinted at it. You hit the nail on the head, right? The, the people that understand the, the the local nuances and what's truly happening in your backyard, right? And it it really comes down to knowing your source for your weather forecast any time of year, but especially in the winter, uh, because as some of you may know through experience or through talking with friends, neighbors, relatives, other members of the community, right? There are these little nuanced uh, things such as, oh, well, I know that if the wind blows from this direction, we get more snow. But if the wind blows from that direction, we might get a little bit less or, right, this this valley is impacted more than the other or, you know, in, insert, you know, observation here. And, and it's those little nuances in especially in, in coastal areas around bodies of water, or if there's any terrain features, and I'm not talking just the mountains, like the, the Rockies or the Appalachians or the Blue Ridge Mountains, right? I'm, I'm talking even just like rolling hills uh, in some areas. And what kind of in, in the winter weather forecast process, right? Uh, the, 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 big, the, the big step is, you know, not just a meteorologist, right? Having the 
uh, you know, taking the what the weather model says and saying, oh, well, you know, ship it out. And this is my favorite model for today. And this is what what the weather looks to be in the future. Right. But it's then it's it really relies on a local forecasters knowledge. And that could be your local National Weather Service office and the forecasters there that serve your local area. So your local counties or parishes that uh, that make up a, a small subset of the country. And they're experts on those local weather conditions there. It could also be a team uh, from your local uh, TV news station of choice or uh, perhaps a, you know, a, a private forecasting entity that has folks that are, are either from or knowledgeable of specific regions of the United States. And why that local knowledge is so valuable is because these big weather models, right, they're looking at very large areas when they're making their forecast. And so there can be a lot of averaging that goes on. Uh, say even even down to say like a say like a five mile by five mile and you know, model view thing things as a grid, and I mean just think of how much the weather can change from your house and you drive five miles in one direction. How different that can be sometimes, right? Models won't always be able to tease out some of those little nuances, those local effects, and also they don't handle. Uh, very high impact uh, events uh, very well, right? Models do good for the day-to-day, -day, the more routine weather that we might typically see in a location for that time of year. But for these big high impact events, right, like nor'easters, atmospheric rivers, and some of the things we've talked about already on this show, right, that's where the local forecaster's knowledge of taking and then modifying what the weather models are predicting based on their experience, knowledge, and training in that local area that's how you can really get that truly accurate forecast uh, for your neck of the woods. And uh, my biggest piece of advice, if you are using a particular source for your forecast and you notice that things don't always match up, find a better source. <laughs> Good point. Good stuff, Kyle. So, Becky, what is the Palmer Divide effect? Sam, you live in Colorado. I just not heard that. No, I'm still, I mean, I'm still learning. <laughs> okay. So the Palmer Divide is a geographical feature south of Denver, and it's basically uh, a higher elevation, and it could cause uh, very enhanced snowfall um, due to to upslope and downslope. So when you have that like classic setup where it's northeasterly flow coming down into um, into Colorado and you get upslope, you can see a lot more snow um, in in certain places like you know Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Parker. But it's it's those little nuances that Kyle was referring to. Like you know, only someone who is really really familiar with forecasting for Colorado is going to know the impact that the Palmer Divide can have depending on the direction that the, the wind is, is coming in and how the, the storm is moving through the area. So it's, it's, it's just a, it's a good point and just a, a way to emphasize the importance of um, having that local understanding of, of geography and how it impacts and influences weather. Well, on that note, um, for those of us in the front range, which is right up nestled in the foothills going up into the Rockies, what, what effect does that have? Is there a protective effect from snow? Or depend Do which, does it depend on which direction the snow is coming from? Yeah, it all depends on the on the direction and where the the low um, is situated when the storm is is coming through. Usually, a four corners low, so where the low is is directly over the four corners, is going to produce the best wind direction for heavy snow along the front range. 
if you look up past blizzards like 03 or 06, you're going to see um, setups similar to that. Can you add to that, Dan? Yeah, I can if I could find my mute button. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think what Becky said is spot on. I mean, she is from there. And Kyle, I'm not sure where you're from, but you obviously live out there. You guys are more in touch with that area than than, than I am, I guess. It's actually, you know, I think uh, the certain sort of signals you look for as a meteorologist, right? And Becky mentioned where the low is. Also, you, you can look up, you know, higher up in the atmosphere about where different things are basically and what the forecast models are showing you to try to understand what the risk is and look at past events and how the predicted event compares to past events. That's a good tool that we use to try to figure that out. And, you know, you really, to get a really good snowstorm in Denver, you, you need a, um, you know, you need obviously the temperatures to be cold enough and then you need a, um, some moisture. So you want to, basically you're pulling moisture from the Gulf. I think people don't really necessarily realize that like the main moisture source for Denver is the Gulf of Mexico. You bring it all the way up from the Gulf and then you bring that moisture up. And as you bring moisture up in elevation, you condense and it cools. And that's how you can really get some of the significant amounts of rain or snow in the Denver and front range area. Well, and it's an odd thing that Denver weather, which isn't all that far from here, and what we get in the front range can be entirely different. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with the with the hills and mountains and so forth. Jamie? Well, no, we, we get it here at the, you know, where I am at the top of the Chesapeake Bay. Um, you know, uh, I, I live at one end of almost to the Pennsylvania line in Maryland here, but you go five miles towards um, the top of the bay, uh, just five miles east of here, and you you um, have significantly warmer temperatures to the point that it will be snowing hard in my house and at my son's house, you know, 10 miles away, it's pouring rain. And it, it, it's consistent in snowstorms that we see that. It has to be really cold for, for the snow to cover our entire county. Um, usually it's raining in the southern end of the county and snowing at the top end of the county. So I, we see that, you know, I think, and I think that that has to do with the moderating effect of the body of water at the Chesapeake Bay, you know, I guess warm keeps the temperatures warmer um, because the water temperature doesn't change as quickly as the air temperature does. I think that's the way it works, right, Dan? button Dan <laughs> somehow I hit record I don't know what I did I'll start no, recording and I'll answer Jamie's question but I don't need to really answer it actually because you said you did a great job explaining that Jamie that's a uh, that's that's spot on and you're basically just you're right you know you're right at that freezing mark a lot of the time in places like the northern Chesapeake southern New Jersey southern Pennsylvania so you've got a any type of elevation helps to get snow you're higher up in elevation or further away from a body of water Jamie's starting to sound like a meteorologist we've been hanging around with you guys too long we've been doing this show long enough I'm starting to actually pick up <laughs> some of this stuff I know huh I found myself with a more serious interest in the weather since we've had them on, which has actually been a long time. How many years is it for you, Kyle? Four? Gosh, I, I want to say at least five. Five. Yeah, you're probably right. Time flies when you're having fun, eh? Yeah. Uh, but, Becky, you need to put a hat on Dan's avatar for the next time we see him. Huh. He, he has plenty of 
<laughs> he needs he needs a winter hat too. <laughs> he definitely has one. We'll uh, fix that picture. Got to get ready for winter. There you go. Um, so we talked so much about the weather, we didn't get much to the preparedness side, but I think some of this stuff's been touched on and it's it also kind of just makes common sense. Um, stock your food pantry, make sure you have prescription meds, hygiene items, uh, bottled water in case the pipes freeze, have an emergency kit in, in your home and in your car, um, have the right tools you might need, things like ice melt. What are you going to do during a blackout? Because that's highly common. Um, this list I saw even suggests sealing your windows and doors, especially if they're old and leaky. And something I hadn't thought about, um, make sure your carbon monoxide detectors have um, good batteries in them because the time of year when people start firing up their heaters is when we start seeing carbon monoxide issues. And, and yes, Miss Becky, never run a generator indoors. As although, again, that sounds like a common sense item, people still do that. Um, we talked about staying informed and how to do that. Generally be really careful. Don't, you know, if it's really nasty weather, don't go outside unless you have to. And if you do, make sure you dress for it. Um, you know, bring the blanket that's been discussed. Make sure there's an extra one in your car in case you get stuck somewhere. Um, a lot of them in your house in case the electricity goes out. So, you know, that's a lot of just common sense stuff. But, you know, sometimes we forget about it when we've just been through the summer and we don't have to worry about those things. Right, Jamie? Yeah, and and I think you know it's it's important to just understand what's going on in your area, and and that's why we've talked so much about the um, you know the, the forecasting, and so being prepared starts with the knowledge of what's coming, and then you can you can start that preparation process as soon as possible. Was that what exactly. you asked? What's that? Was that what you asked? Yes. Okay. So, Dr. Joe, as we wrap up, um, obviously there's a lot of medical issues um, for the winter, like wearing gloves so you don't get frostbite and that kind of thing. Um, anything else you want to throw out as far as, I mean, well, here's it. Let me give you a more direct question. How is, how is the winter going to affect COVID? do you think? Up, well, down, a, sideways? <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question, Sam. I, I'm not sure anybody really knows. Uh, I, I think a couple of things are out there that are concerning. Um, the Delta Plus variant uh, is kicking around in England particularly right now, and they've got a pretty substantial burden of uh, COVID patients there. The U.S. is seeing a significant lessening in illness and new cases and all that kind of stuff, which is great. Uh, I think one of the challenges as we go into the winter is the addition of uh, other viruses in the mix, RSV and influenza, and sort of sorting out which one is which uh, makes diagnostic challenges more 
more difficult and uh, the need for testing as well as the uh, concern over uh, having both influenza and COVID at the same time. And uh, nobody needs that. So uh, it, it's got the potential to make things uh, more difficult. And with folks being inside and masking mandates beginning to disappear and uh, obviously with folks trapped inside, it's much more uh, trapped inside. It's not the right word, but but uh, folks being spending more time inside, it's hard to socially distance when you're uh, indoors. So uh, it, we're, I think, not through it all yet, and we have potential, uh, certainly potential for um, more stuff to come our way. Well, it's interesting because my particular county in Colorado has actually started doing mask mandates again, um, even for people that are vaccinated. So depends on where you are as to which direction this may go. And in any case, oh, oh my God, winter's coming. So Jamie, take us out. Yeah, and, and I just think that we just need to be aware, as Sam said, every county and, and jurisdiction makes um, different changes for things like COVID um, uh, um, precautions. So it's, it's a, again, being aware of what's going on in your local area and the best sources for that are local news and local weather sources. So it's important to do that. And I know that that's something that is included in some of the special training that you guys put together at Paragon Medical Education Group is including specific customized situations based upon uh, what happens in, in a given area, um, whether it's rural or, or urban, you guys can put together a specific setup that will be applicable to the jurisdiction in which you're working with folks, right? Uh, that's correct, Jamie. We always like to talk to folks so that we can customize the educational experience to match their needs. Uh, and we welcome phone calls or inquiries via the web. They can find us at paragonmedicalgroup.com or on Facebook at Paragon Medical Group or obviously through the Disaster Podcast. Excellent. Um, Becky, where can folks find you? They can find me on Twitter at WX underscore Bex and the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Excellent. And Dan, how about you? On Twitter at WX Depot, D-E-P-O, and the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. Cool. And Kyle, last but not least. Well, thanks, Jamie. Folks can find me on all the major social media platforms under the handle WX Kyle Nelson as well as on my website, wxkylenelson.com. I love to connect with our listeners and continue the conversation. And that's important because we do have a lot of great conversations, right, Sam? I mean, with, with you and I reaching out to folks on um, our Facebook group and other places, um, it's really important to do that. So um, where do folks find you most likely, Sam? Well, in all the aforementioned places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11. And I imagine we could find you there as well, right, Jamie? Yep, under the handle Podmedic in most places. Um, but uh, find us at disasterpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show and make sure you don't miss any episodes, as well as over at our Facebook group. And just search for Disaster Podcast and you'll be able to find it right over there. Easy 
um, where we have a lot of our frequent guests and um, experts that are still part of the group that are happy to answer questions. So if you have a great news article or a question you want to pose over there, uh, please feel free to do so. And we'll try to find the best person to answer that question for you. So that's it. Um, good episode, Sam. I know we had a lot to kind of cover in, in here tonight uh, about a variety of things, but um, it is important for us to uh, be ready uh, for whatever comes our way. Indeed. It was a very interesting conversation. I, I've always learned something from all of these meteorologists, even you, Jamie. <laughs> you sound like one. But I guess as we look toward winter, maybe not favorably for some, But be prepared, use common sense, and stay safe.